you read this passage, several things jump out to you even before we get to the story of, of the woman with the alabaster vial of perfume. The first thing that I noticed when I read it was in verse 2, Jesus gives a very, very explicit explanation of what's about to happen. He says, in two days, the Passover's coming, and the Son of Man is going to be handed over to be crucified. Now, Brother Gene, that's probably the most explicit statement in all of the Gospels about what's going to happen to Christ. He doesn't just say that, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I won't be with you later. No, he says, listen, in two days, the Passover's coming, and in two days, when the Passover comes, they're going to come and arrest me, and they're going to crucify me. Now, if that happened in our midst, if we heard someone tell us that, if we knew that, that something was coming that significant in two days, do you think that would be the entirety of what we would focus on? That would be the, the heart of who we became. We would be centered in on that thought that Jesus was dying in two days. I would like to hope, Miss Donna, that I'm close enough to where God wants me to be. I'm not there, but that I'm close enough to where God wants me to be that if I were in that audience in that moment and the subject came up that Jesus was about to be crucified, that that would have my undivided attention. And I wouldn't be wandering about looking at other things and, and worried about something else. I wouldn't care whether or not we had a light bulb out in the foyer. I wouldn't care whether or not the, 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 the chairs were in a line or the guitar was plugged in, Taylor. That wouldn't matter. What would really matter is that we just found out the most momentous event in all of history is about to take place. Jesus knew the cost that he was about to play, pay. He was very, very aware of what was coming. It wasn't something that caught him off guard. He knew the cost. We think about that cost. We think about it in terms of um, what Jesus had to give up. But Jesus understood the value that came with the cost. He understood the cost of obedience to the will of his Father. He knew what was coming. And when we think about it, we think about, well, he gave up heaven. Now let's think about that for a minute. He left the glories of heaven. I don't know what that looks like today. I know what it's going to look like in the future, but I don't know what it looks like today. I do know that he left perfect communion with the Father. In his oneness that exists between the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he left that oneness to come to earth. He didn't give up anything of the oneness, but he did give up the continual adoration of thousands of angelic beings. He did give up the reality of being able to, in the midst of all that was going on, be above the fray. Have you ever been in a situation where you watch something play out in front of you and you're like, man, I sure am glad I'm not in the middle of all that. I mean, that's where God was. That's where Jesus was. He, he wasn't down in the dirty, living with us world that he became. But it's not just what he left. It's what he set aside. When he came to earth, he didn't just leave all the glories of heaven, but he limited himself, self-decision to not act in certain circumstances. Now, I've been in some circumstances where something was going on around me, and I wanted to react, Brother Ron. <laughs> Sometimes I can't keep my mouth shut. Miss Jerry's sitting next to me on the airplane on the way home from Israel saying it's not worth going to jail. <laughs> she probably kept me as your pastor. So you can thank her or blame her, your choice. Jesus could have called down thousands of angels to rescue him, but he didn't. 
Jesus could have, with just a simple word, annihilated everything that was. He was entirely God. And yet he was willing to pay the price. He knew the cost that was involved in setting everything aside. Well, there's a show that comes on television. It used to be like on regular television. I think now it's just on cable. It's called Undercover Boss. If you've never seen that show, there are some good episodes. There are some not so good episodes. But it, the premise of the show is this. Whoever the boss of the company, the owner, the CEO, the person in charge, goes undercover in their own company. And they pretend to just be an average employee so they can watch and see what's happening. And they learn a lot about their company in the course of doing that. Because people will say things to a new employee that they won't say to their boss. You ever notice that? And so they're getting all this inside information. And as I watch that show, Ms. Lois, sometimes as I'm watching it, you can see the tension in the CEO or the owner's face because he's like, I could solve this problem right now. This employee does not need to be an employee and there are times in the show where he literally the 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 ceo literally will step out of character and call somebody say look this decision has been made deal with it but for the most part they stay within the confines of that particular limited self-limited role so they could live like the employees jesus left the glories of heaven to be the undercover boss to take upon himself human flesh, to walk and dwell among us, to experience life just like us so that he would be able to relate to us. He was tempted, the Bible says, in every way like as us, except without sin. Jesus knew the cost. He knew what was involved. It wasn't just the physical pain and the death of the cross, as bad as that was. It wasn't the slaps, it wasn't the spear, it wasn't the crown of thorns, it wasn't the abuse, it wasn't the mocking, it wasn't the fact that he was stripped naked and nailed to a a wooden beam, it wasn't any of that. That wasn't the worst. The worst was he became sin for us. He took upon himself the weight of all of the sin of all of mankind. He did that. He knew the cost. And yet he came. That goes beyond anything I can imagine. And so he says, this is what's coming in just a couple of days. In just a couple of days, I'm going to be crucified. Now, with that in mind, we look at the next part of the story. Mary, we know it's Mary because if we read in the uh, other accounts, in John chapter 12 in particular, we're given Mary's name. Mary, the uh, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, in this moment, takes an alabaster vial. Now, you probably remember it in the King James as the alabaster box or the song. Somebody sang the alabaster box song not too long ago. Was that Sarah? It was Sarah. Beautiful song. She took that alabaster box full of perfume. And interestingly, if you read the, the uh, Greek there, the word for perfume is actually the word that combines olive oil and myrrh. It's myrrh. And so what was in the box, the perfume was literally olive oil mixed with myrrh. Where else do we see myrrh in the life of Christ? At his birth. Myrrh was used to anoint the body, to prepare the body for burial. Here in this moment, a very expensive gift. Who brought it to Jesus? The wise men. This wasn't something that everybody had laying around. This kind of anointment was something that was extremely expensive. And Mary, in this story, does an amazing act. 
she pours this, this oil, this perfume, she pours the entire vial upon Jesus' head. Now, if you haven't noticed this about my, my wife, or if you don't know this about my wife, my wife has a very sensitive sense of smell when it comes to perfume. And so if you ever sit by her and she gets up and moves, it's not that she doesn't like you. It's probably that the perfume that you're wearing or the cologne that you're wearing is too strong for her. Imagine, Deanna, that they poured an entire vial of it on their head. The smell of this would have completely permeated the whole house. As a kid, my dad had this little overnight bag that um, I'll remember that thing as long as I live. That Mama's perfume broke in on one trip. And it soaked into all the, the lining and the pores. Of, and every time you open that, you could smell that perfume. I'll never forget that smell. It completely became synonymous with that. This anointing completely became synonymous with what was going on. It was, it was the idea, Jesus said later, wherever things happen. Thank you, Karis. Welcome back. I guess I deserve that. <laughs> wherever the gospel is preached, let's get back online here. Wherever the gospel is preached, this story is going to be told, Jesus said. Because it is that important to the reality of what's happening in the moment. Mary knew the cost. In fact, in Mark chapter 14, we're given the value of this perfume. We're told that it's about 300 denarii, which is roughly an entire year's wage. So I don't know what any of you make, but whatever you make in an entire year, tied up in this one vial of perfume. Everything that she had for an entire year to buy this one vial. And she willingly, willingly poured it out upon the head of Jesus. Could you imagine the moment that that was like? Everybody's gathered. They're in the home of Simon the leper. They're in Bethany. We don't know from the account of the story whether Simon still has leprosy or if this is someone Jesus has already healed. Jesus could be in the house saying, I don't really care what the ceremonial laws are. I'm about to show you who I am. But either way, they're in the leper's house, Simon the leper, and as they're in the house and everything's going on and who all's gathered, we don't really know all the details of who all's there, but everyone who's gathered there encounter this one moment where Mary does something completely out of the ordinary. You see, it was not uncommon for someone to wash the feet of a guest in the home. In fact, it was an expected thing. It even was not uncommon for them to anoint their feet because after they'd been walking in the dirty, stinky ground that typically existed in Jewish towns, that was an important thing. This was beyond the ordinary. This was an extraordinary event where she gave all that she had and she poured it out upon Christ. Far higher than anything we could have ever imagined. And Mary's once-in-a-lifetime act of worship wasn't just about who Jesus was, but it was what he had just revealed that he was about to do. And Mary was saying in this act of, of worship, it's not just enough that you're Jesus, but you are about to become the salvation of the world 
personified for all of us to see. You're about to go on the cross and take upon you the sin of all of mankind. And I endorse that with all that I have. It's like she's saying, whatever I've got, I'm giving it so that this can be true. Jesus said, she's preparing my body for burial. What an amazing cost. What an amazing gift. What an amazing act of worship that Mary showed here in this moment. Now Jesus has revealed that two days is the Passover and then he's going to be crucified. I imagine the room got kind of quiet like this. I can just picture Mary standing up and walking across the room. Probably cradling that vial. And each step of the way as she approaches Jesus is an intentional act of obedience and faith. She opens the vial. She pours it upon his head. And somewhere in the back of the room, somebody says, we could have sold that thing. Amen, Brother Dennis. Somebody said that. Somebody said, how dare she pour that on Jesus? What a waste, Miss Jerry. We could have sold that. Well, you know how many poor people we could have fed with that gift? Do you know what we could have done with that act of, do you know what we could have done if we would have had access to all of that? You know what? Oh, wait a minute. How quick we are to spend someone else's act. But didn't they all have a year's wages? Oh, we could spend Mary's vial. We could have done great work with what she had. But what about me? Well, what about what I ha- what about what the disciples had? Hmm. You see, we're real quick to look at what other people are doing and say, well, if they would just do this, then the kingdom of God would really grow. But listen, if we're going to see the kingdom of God grow, it's going to be because we know the cost, not because we know what they paid. It's going to be because we know what we're willing to pay. We have to be perfectly clear. We will not see this community come to Jesus unless we're willing to tell somebody that he loves them. That there's hope and there's peace and there's joy and there's forgiveness to be found in them. The message has got to go forward and the only way it's going to go forward is if we're willing to pay the price ourselves and not say, well, I wish somebody would step up. I wish somebody would let me manage their money and then if I had their money, you know, if if I win the lottery, Pastor, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. I can't tell you how many times I've been told, don't win the lottery. It's really hard to win the lottery if you don't play the lottery. God's not worried about what you would do if you won the lottery. God's worried about what you're going to do with what you have right now. Well, if I had what so-and-so had, then I would, no. To fulfill Jesus' plan in our lives, we must be willing to pay any price. We must be willing to face any obstacle. We must be willing to encounter any challenge. We must not back down no matter what it costs us. 
And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about obedience. I'm talking about hearts broken and poured out for other people. I'm talking about the reality that's all around us. There are people that are dying and are going to spend eternity in hell if they don't come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we've got to be willing to go out of our comfort zones and to share it. And for 2,000 years, Mary's act of worship has been shared with people. In our spoiled American minds, we contemplate the cost of obedience in terms of missed opportunities or missed pleasures. How many times could Mary have anointed herself with that whole bottle of perfume? How many times could Mary have done something for herself? What if you could just all of a sudden take everything you earned for the entire year and sell whatever it was that was represented by it and have that in your bank account? Wouldn't you feel more secure? Mary, she could have done that. Somebody would have bought that whole bottle of alabaster perfume. Somebody would have had that had she just been willing to do that. And then she could have had the whole year's salary sitting in the bank. Woo! What a glory. The end of the month comes and there's still money. That wasn't Mary's concern. Mary's concern wasn't the the goodness that she could have based on what she had. It was what she could do for the glory of God with what she had. And I want you to be sure of something. Other people, they're not going to understand or agree with your obedience. I have family that don't like the fact I'm in California. One of them asked me not too long ago, when are you going to come home? I am. This is where God has me. And where I am is where I'm going to serve God. Other people aren't going to understand when you are willing to take any step it takes to share the gospel with someone. They're going to look at you and think, oh, now you just become one of them religious nuts. Well, Miss Donna, praise God, at least we're screwed onto the right bolt. Listen, know the cost. Know what it is that God's asking of you. Know that being who God wants you to be and fulfilling the plan that he has for you is not going to come easy. And for some of us, that may mean that we have to give up on some of the dreams that we've held. It may mean that we don't get to do all the things that we wished that we could do one day, that, that we may never get to see the glories of a certain place that we wanted to go. But I want to tell you something. If you serve wherever you are for the rest of your life and you never see anything more than you're seeing right now and you're faithful, when you stand before God, whatever you thought you missed out on is going to pale in comparison to who He is. We've seen some beautiful things in our lives. If you've been to the Grand Canyon, our teenagers went to the Grand Canyon last year after camp. If you've been to the Grand Canyon and you've looked across that gigantic ditch, And you see the beauty and the majesty of all that that is. And you think that God said, let there be land. That God literally spoke into existence. 
When you go outside and, and you get away from town and you get out where you can see the stars at night and you look and you see the entire sky seems to be filled with stars that are, spring, that are bright and shining and beautiful. And you realize that each one of them is held in place by the very will of our God. What dream do you have that compares to the ability to stand in front of the one who did that for you? Do you want to see the things that he did or do you want to see the glory that he is? Sometimes we may have to give up some dreams or some ambitions. One of my best friends, his ambition was to be the youngest governor in the, state, in the history of the state of Louisiana. That was what he dreamed of. Went to college, went to law school, came out, began developing political relationships. His goal was to be the youngest governor in the state of Louisiana. He spent his entire career as an assistant DA in Lake Providence, Louisiana. A dying town prosecuting people. Spent his entire career doing that. That was not the ambitions that he had. But along the way, he has touched tens of thousands of lives for the gospel of Christ that he probably never would have had an opportunity to had he got his way. You see, sometimes our ambitions get in the way of what God really wants to do in our lives. And we see the next step up the ladder as a blessing when sometimes it's not God's plan. And so we need to temper what we want with a willingness to pay whatever price God asks of us. Sometimes that even means our rights. Now in America, we're proud of our rights. Makes us all stand up a little bit taller, puff our chest out a little bit further. But listen to me. The exercise of all of your rights is not worth one person going to hell. Paul said, there are things that are right that I'm free to do, but if they cause my brother to stumble, I will never do them. Because more important to me than getting my way is seeing things his way. You've got to know the cost. Dreams, ambitions, and rights. Are you willing to set them aside? And we think about knowing the cost and we think about it in terms of negative things like we can't do, we can't do, we can't do. But what if I told you that part of the cost that you can pay when you follow Christ with all that you are is you get to give up guilt. But you get to give up that feeling of, oh, I wish I had done differently because as a child of God, you are forgiven completely, head to toe, top to bottom, beginning to end, all of it washed away. The Bible says from the, as far as the east is from the west, every sin that you've ever committed as a child of God has been cleansed and you are set free from that. And that guilt that you get to get rid of, that is something that I'm willing to get rid of. Amen? I don't have to carry that around. I don't have to be weighed down by the what ifs if I had done this, if I had done that. It's over, it's in the past, it's forgiven. But moving forward, I choose to pay whatever cost, to pay whatever price. Maybe that's something you have to give up is religion. Did the preacher just say give up religion? 100% yes. Because, guys, religion is not where it's at. 
Jesus is where it's at. Relationship is where it's at. It's not what songs we sing. It's not what clothes we wear. It's not what, Amelia posted this thing on Facebook, said it doesn't matter if we have a pastor with skinny jeans and blue lights or a three-piece suit and a formal setup. I told her she just wanted me to put on skinny jeans. I don't think they make them in my size, Brother Tim. I don't think you qualify this as skinny anything. Religion is all about rules and and, and finding, you know, the ability to, to find your peace in other people. And No. Our hope, our joy, our peace is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And yes, we come together and worship Him. Yes, we, that's why we're here. That's why this building exists. That's why I'm here today. Because there is value in our fellowship with one another and our joint worship. But we're not here to be religious. If you just want to be religious, you can do that at home. We're here to serve God. What if the cost was we didn't have to fear anymore? If we didn't have to live our lives wondering whether or not God loved us. We didn't have to wonder whether or not our eternity was secure. We didn't have to live our lives hoping that one day when I get to the end of the world uh, or the end of this life that I've done just enough to get into heaven. There's not some great cosmic scale up there weighing your good versus your bad. When you stand before God, God isn't interested in how many little old ladies you helped cross the street versus how many times you took, uh, downloaded a file off the internet and didn't pay for it. That's not what God's interested in. God's interested in, do you know the Son? And when you know the Son, the Son sets you free, and you're free indeed. And fear disappears in the midst of that. I don't have to wonder or worry. When, if I go into this surgery and I don't come out, I'll see you guys at the pearly gates. I mean, the very worst thing about that is I have to get there before my wife. And she's going she's gonna to be mad at me the rest of her time she's here. You're leaving me here with all these five hoodlums. That's just reality, right? As a believer, I don't need to fear death. I don't even need to fear life. The worst thing that can happen to me is you punch my ticket and I spend eternity in glory. I'm looking forward to it. And so when I know the cost, I get to set all those things aside. Now the problem is, sometimes we like to hold on to those feelings so we can feel justified in our disobedience. We don't want to give up the fear. We don't want to give up the religion. We don't want to give up the, the, the guilt. Because as long as we still feel those things, well, then we can say, well, I'm already here. I might as well keep going. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Repent. Turn your ways back to Christ. Set these things aside, and whatever the cost, whatever the cost, I promise you, whatever the cost, it's worth it. A year's worth of wages, the ridicule of all the people around you, the misunderstandings of your motives, all of that's worth it. 2,000 years later, we're standing here talking about a woman dumping a vial of perfume on a man's head in Bethany in the Far East. Why? Why? Because it was an act of worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is a pure example of who we are to be. And if we're going to be clear in our witness, if we're going to be clear in fulfilling the mission God's given us to be a part of, it's going to be because we count the cost and we determine it's worth it. Father.
this morning as you speak to our hearts. As you remind us that no matter what you ask of us, it is worth it. Lord, I pray for every man and woman and child in this room. God, I pray that you would give us a great boldness to faithfully proclaim that Jesus is Lord as long as we have breath in our lungs. God, give us a willingness to go wherever you call us to go to talk to whoever you call us to talk to. To share with them the hope that's found in you. God, I pray that you remove the fear and the spirit of religion. I pray, Father, that you remove the guilt from our lives. That we would understand what it means to freely worship you. And that we would share with others the great glory that comes with knowing that we've been obedient to you. Lord, this morning, if there's someone here who does not know you, Father, if they're on the outside looking in and they're trying to figure out who this Jesus is and is he worth it, Lord, I pray that this morning you, your spirit, would convince them, not my words, but that you would convince them, Father, that it is worth it to follow you. And God, help them to see the great hope that comes in the knowledge of a relationship with you. I pray for all of us here today, Father. Oh, Lord, would you give us a great heart of love for others. That we wouldn't draw lines in the sand. We wouldn't limit where we would go. We wouldn't have um, barriers that are too big. Lord, you break them all down. And you allow your people to experience the great worship that Mary experienced as we prepare our hearts for what you do through us. In Jesus' name.